Hi, it's Paul Camillos. Welcome to Series 5 of Shooting the Breeze. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin as we talk to inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends behind the scenes and at the grassroots of the game. This marks the start of our fourth year of covering women's hoops and women in hoops. And throughout the series, we welcome experts like Lyndon Moore from New Zealand and other special guests from across the world to get a global picture of the game. During this series, we'll take a closer look at the grassroots and the passionate people at the community level. And of course, the 30th edition of the FIBA Women's Asia Cup will be heading to our shores for the first time to showcase the best women's hoops in our region. Hit that subscribe button and to show your support, rate and leave us a review on iTunes so we reach more listeners. I would say just value your community. There's massive strength in numbers and you can really make cool things happen with having such a great community and awesome things happen for a range of people when you have a strong community with a whole lot of contributing people. So yeah, I'd say that. Put a lot of emphasis on your community and create great connections and community in all the spaces you're in and you'll definitely see success. In our next Passport Pod, New Zealand hoops expert Lyndon Moore joins us to talk to community ambassador and baller Maya Williamson. Maya was born to coach and is paying it forward at her alma mater, Middleton Grange High School in Christchurch. Having come through the highly regarded Mainland Eagles camp at a significant time for women's basketball in New Zealand. Hailing from the Canterbury region of the South Island, an area that is equally rich in community spirit and hoops passion, Maya has passion in spades. As a coach and advocate for women's hoops, she wants other females to know that hoop dreams extend beyond just a playing career. Currently assisting the under-15s Canterbury rep team, as well as studying broadcasting, she's the real deal in community hoops. There's no doubt Maya will continue to have a strong voice in elevating and advocating for the future of women's hoops in New Zealand. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Today we're going back over the pond to New Zealand where we're joined by Lyndon Moore and... Our guest today is Maya Williamson. Maya, Lyndon, welcome to the show. Great to have you. And let's get into it. Well, thanks for having us on, Paul. I'm really excited. Hello, Maya. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. So how's it going? Good. I'm doing well. How are you guys? Good. Yeah, pretty good. Awesome. You know, there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening in Hoops World at the moment. But, you know, as always, we really like to hear more about what's happening in New Zealand. Awesome. I can help you out with that. <laughs> Don't I say when I first was trying to, you know, because I brainstorm ideas for people who might be a good fit for the New Zealand segments on Shooting the Breeze, uh, say so your name came up right away. Because even though we've only talked a handful of times, we've always had such great conversations. And I loved the way I mean just your energy towards the game but towards the love and for the people in it as well so really excited to get kind of behind your mindset there and share it with the listeners in New Zealand and across the pond absolutely I'm very excited I was very pumped when I saw the message <laughs> awesome so would you mind just starting us off by telling us who you are and how you got into basketball 
Sweet. So I'm Maya. I have lived in Christchurch, New Zealand my whole entire life. Uh, my entire family is into basketball, so my mum and my dad played and my mum's been a coach for as long as I know. My two older brothers also grew up playing and now both coach, so it was kind of a given that I ended up playing basketball. So I was always around it and watching it as I grew up and when I was about eight, that's when I started playing a bit of mini ball at school and just basic like primary basketball. So you've had a lot of that exposure around you, like you said, because both your parents were involved and your mom still is and your brother's playing. So going straight to the high school career, because that was pretty, pretty sweet. Uh, can you touch on a little bit about that and give us a little bit of insight as to what, yeah, that was like for you and some of the stuff that you'd have to do? Yeah, so I played in the senior team from when I was year nine um, at my school and I got to play with some pretty cool people like Lauren Hippolyte and Amy Book who um, have gone on to play at college and Lauren has played professionally and for the Tall Ferns and Amy's played four years of Division One college which is pretty cool that I got to have that experience as a young kid and then I did the rest of my schooling um, just playing in the Christchurch competition with um, a few sets of really good teams and I also played rep throughout my entire high school career so different age group teams I went away to quite a few age group nationals which was pretty cool um, got to meet a lot of people got to um, see a lot of cities and play a whole range of players I got to play some of the best players in the country which is pretty sick and then I was also involved in the Mainland Eagles Academy which is an academy run here in Christchurch and it happens a few times a week and it was run by various grant people but for a few years I was under um, Mick and Mel Downer who are uh, an incredible duo lots of basketball knowledge and they really shaped Canterbury basketball for the duration they were here so yeah I've had been pretty lucky throughout my high school career to have been coached by high caliber coaches and I've been in some pretty cool communities as well. Yeah, absolutely. Same because Christchurch, they've got a robust amount of people down there who are doing some great mm -hmm. stuff and the especially in the Mainland Eagles program that's so unique and they provide as you see a lot of more than just on the court. Would you mind sharing with our listeners just a little bit of insight as to what else that they do off the court to help prepare you? Because it's a pathway that they're trying to or that they at least can help you prepare for if that's what you choose to do yeah absolutely so um they always made sure to put, put a lot of emphasis on that it wasn't just basketball like you know having a career in basketball or being a basketball player consists of so much more than that so we always had to be super consistent we had an app called own your goal where you had to log your wellness and your activity every single day so it's like learning to be consistent with things like that especially when there's an expectation on you um they did a lot about um your character and who you are like learn not to talk to the refs, learning about your values, setting goals and learning how to stick to those goals and also how to communicate those goals to both coaches and your teammates. They do a lot about education and how important that is and like what subjects you have to take and um, what scores you need to take to get into different schools. So there's a lot of emphasis on um, like the other side that's not just your ability to play but also the other things that will get you so far. And then at Eagles camps, they do a lot of um, like mental skills because obviously that's a huge part of basketball. So they did a lot of emphasis on self-talk, visualization, things like that, um, learning how to keep a cool head because basketball players are infamous for not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, as well. And then there's also a lot of education around how to actually um, take different pathways because not everyone's pathway is college. So there was lots of talk about how to get into NBL, um, Euroleague, ANBL, things like that. 
also they we had a lot of education from alumni, so people who had been through the Eagles program and had gone on to play either professionally or at college as well. So they offered a lot of great insight to more than just on-court knowledge, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. See, they have a wealth of knowledge growing because just being able to be taught just to fly on the wall at the mm. December camp, <laughs> uh, it's just, you know, they really dove deep into what I guess time your personal brand mm. as more than a player. And making sure you're prepared to deal with that as well. Because, you know, at the end of the day, they seem like they do a good job preparing you for what's next. Because basketball isn't necessarily, you know, it's not going to last. Hopefully, you know, probably as long as people would like it to. Um, <laughs> yeah. And all that being said, actually, I believe the last New Zealand pod, Paul, correct me if I'm wrong, that we had with Zoe Richards, who actually yep. went through the same uh, mainland program. So, say so they were proven track record of, you know, creating and fostering really good individuals um, in all aspects. Yeah, to to me, it seems like it's such a well-rounded program. It's not just you know the sport and the training for the sport. It's it's trying to prepare you for everything that comes around the sport as well. And to me, that's something that's missing in a lot of programs. And more importantly, it also gives you a good grounding for, like you said, Lyndon, after basketball, and you can still stay involved in the sport, but mm. just in a different manner. Yeah, absolutely. We got offered so many different insights. I mean, there was even one um, session we had with Hugh Bainan where he educated us on um, how to handle media because actually that's probably a really underrated part of being, you know, a college or professional athlete is that you do have to deal with a lot of that and that can be a lot of repercussions if not handled well. So, yeah, they definitely offered us a lot of insight and things that wouldn't first come to mind when you're thinking about a basketball program, but actually really important things. Yeah, and uh, obviously just relating to that media thing, it's it's not just how to talk and to, to relate to the media. I'm sure that they must also talk to you about how to recognise when the questions you're being asked or the, the way the discussion is going is trying to draw you into a direction that's probably not appropriate. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of education around there and like actually practice sessions, like <laughs> learning not to take the bait and, you know, end up saying something that you shouldn't be saying, which is actually because obviously if you're not, haven't been in a lot in the media, you can fall into that trap pretty easily. So, yeah, I think that was really cool. Yeah. So you've been inspired and been around numerous individuals during your career and, you know, whether that's fans, like you said, Lauren or Amy, which listeners who may not be aware, both really good player from the South Island, great young woman as well. Uh, Lauren, believe WNBL fans should know her name, but she was over with Melbourne Boomers as a DP for a little bit. And also, I should say everyone should know Amy Book's name as well. Very well-known family, the Book family, and just, you know, did really, really well in uh, over in D1 college. But you have those, you know, like you mentioned, you were playing with those brawls, and then you were surrounded by the people, you know, that the Eagles Academy brought in at high school and such. And you mentioned the age group nationals. Who inspired you, would you say? Or I guess, like, who were kind of some of your role models? Just all along my yeah. journey. One coach that definitely comes to mind is Laura McDaniel. So she was involved with the Wildcats when they were still a team. So she was head coach for them. She's done a lot of um, New Zealand age group coaching as well. And she was the Mainland Eagles coach for a while. And me and her just got along really well. So I found it really easy to... Um, work with her because of how great our relationship was and she was also she really invests in players so you can really tell that she cares about you and she's really invested in again more than just the basketball side of things and she was always checking up like she would come to me after one training I remember her saying she was like 
I'm really hard on you, but that's because I think that you're going to be really good. Is that okay? Or is that not okay? Like it was that kind of personal relationship that I really valued. And, um, we meet up a lot for coffee still like afternoon teas that we have. Um, and we just, we chat basketball, but it's more than just on court basketball. We talk about so much more and I always just knew that she cared. And I think that was kind of my first genuine experience with a coach that was showing me that Boswell was more than just a game and that that relationship was really cool because I knew that she was invested in me as a person and my development as a whole, not just as a basketball player, which is really cool. Um, and then Mick and Mal showed me a lot of that as well. So when they came, they completely changed the Mainland Eagles Academy into what it is today and also shaped a lot of Canterbury basketball as well. Like the community work they did was incredible and the way they have like changed Canterbury into this little town into getting four national championships in a year like that's just incredible and the work they did on and off the court was really really cool so I was really privileged to be a part of that when they were here. So those three names I would say are synonymous with Canterbury basketball for me. Um, I wasn't fortunate enough to be in the country at the time when Mick and Mel were running the show so to speak but they everything I've, I've seen from them has and all the feedback has just been fantastic and how much they genuinely care and same with Lori. Lori just has that energy about her and thing that really important, I would say, as a coach, too, to have when you're, you know, that rapport with your players and is my favorite word, uh, ambassadors <laughs> for the game. Uh, so you talked about these amazing coaches. You're now transitioning to that role yourself. <laughs> um, so you were able to see the game now from multiple perspectives because, again, you, like you said, you still play in social comp and then you also coach. So can you walk us through that transition and how that perspective shifts? you know, when you do it from a player to a coach? Yeah. I think for me, coaching came definitely came quite easy because I think I've always had a good feel for the game. Like I've always been complimented on my IQ. But since I'm five foot and not extremely athletically gifted, I was never always able to put what I see into action. So I feel like coaching kind of came naturally to me because I was always seeing certain things, but I wasn't always able to do what I saw. Um, so I'd always kind of be, when I was a player, I would love to lead So and I love to talk. So I was always talking in huddles or always making suggestions, things like that. So I feel like that perspective kind of came as I was a player. So when I started to get into coaching, it was just expanding more and more. But I guess as a player, like things definitely come to you on the court and it's more of a narrow view because you're taking it as it comes. But as a coach, you have more of a bird's eye view. So you definitely get to see a lot more. And that's kind of why I love to coach because I love seeing it as a whole and like being able to tell my players what I see and what they see and then being able to make those adjustments and everything comes together. Like that's just the best part of basketball. But I definitely say that it was a pretty seamless transition for me because I feel like I've always had a lot of knowledge, but now just transitioning into like a wider part of the game has been, I guess, the biggest part for me. See, because you have your teammates too and you're on the court and you're leading them and you're doing as much as you can there. But then again, there's something to be said that when you're off the court and you're imparting your knowledge in a different way, that impacts skills that much bigger. Yeah, definitely. And I think also a big part of it is just managing 10 people rather than just being a director, learning to manage 10 people and also like the mental side of things. You know, you've always got things going wrong. So it's oftentimes that you've got a player that's getting down on themselves or they're upset or they're angry, like learning to manage personalities as well as manage the game um, and they manage rotations. Like that's probably been the biggest part of that transition between a player and a coach. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's a lot more balls in the air, I guess, so to speak, 
when you're <laughs> yeah, it's like pun semi not intended. <laughs> uh, to have, like you said, being the leader and that manager and that that point person, kind of like literally being the point guard for the team off the court. Mm. And also, I just want to interject and say I saw you taking some shots at the mainland coaching clinic back in December, and you drained them all. So no, I say thank you. They know. I still I have, I have, I have the proof. Yeah, she's got proof. She's got proof. I, I've got the proof. Uh, and say Bucket launches it from beyond the arc. I was like, oh, is that Maya or Steph Curry? Stuff uh, <laughs> it. Um, so I think this is a, an interesting question that the previous one has led into nicely is uh, what has been the most rewarding thing about working now on the grassroots basketball side of things and then just working with young girls in general? Um, I think – the most awesome and rewarding part of working in such a grassroots community like Canterbury is that it is such a beautiful community. Saturday basketball started up again and just like the amount of people that I saw and talked to and like the amount of support and like there's just such a good vibe when you walk in that gym, Linda. I'm sure you'll be there for one of the games, like one of the Saturdays. I went last year. Oh, awesome. It yeah, and you can just tell so like good. the vibe is so great. Like uh, I don't know how many people I talked to. It was just incredible, and like the support is amazing. Like we had a game on Tuesday, and some of the Checkers boys came to watch and support our team just because there's that's such a great community feel. So that's been such a rewarding part of being in Canterbury basketball is that there is such a beautiful community, and it's such a um, you give and I take. Like everyone contributes, and you get so much back. And I think that's been really rewarding is that it's just such a beautiful community that everyone gets to be part of, and everyone gets to contribute from. Yeah, I keep banging on about it. I'm sure the folks back in America, where I'm from, like back home, they're just like, come on, keep saying this. But I'll say it again anyway, because I believe it. Uh, there is no place like New Zealand, because you can have, to your point, like there's just so much give and take in these situations. Mm. And you never know who's going to be showing up to your games. And even to the extent of, you know, I'll use the Polkai and the Rams players as, as an example, where they, you know, they'll be coaching high school teams or, you know, Prems teams or whatever during the weekend, and they'll be playing themselves. And but, you know, you have these people who are just so willing and embracing and they share the love of the game and they're just good humans. And there's not many other places and I haven't been to every country yet. So I don't want to you know, speak on definitely on behalf of everyone. Although I thought a very similar vibe in Australia that, you know, you can you can walk in. And it's just like family and everyone loves the game and then you, know, you get cracking on about something else. And it's just so wholesome. The le- and like the competition is like good basketball. It's not just whoever playing. Like there's returning college players, there's people like yourself, you know, there's a whole different mix of people. So I guess mm. like your team now, who you're playing with, what has that experience been like and who are you playing with? Have you played with any of them before? Um, I played a few of them are returning from our team last year and we've got a couple new ones. It's quite a cool team because we've got a couple of older people. So we've got Nicole Gleason who was the league's MVP last year. And then Olivia O'Neill, who played for the Hoi Ho last year, has now moved up to Christchurch for placement for her degree. Um, so we've got her, which is really cool to have such a great leader, such a great point guard, and just like a really cool girl overall. Um, and then we've got quite a few younger players who are who attend Stack right now um, because they're such a high-level team. Like they are year 13, but they should 100% be playing prem. So it's really cool to have some of the older girls who have a little bit more experience um, playing with some really gifted high school girls. I think it's a really cool mix that we have. It's really cool for those young girls to be learning, but also we can be learning from them as well. Yeah, 100%. It's an interesting age mix that you just talked about. How do you find particularly, you know, in those high-pressure situations during games, 
how do you find that some of the younger players are reacting in comparison to the more experienced players? Because, you know, it's it's a different reaction. Yeah, and you can definitely tell that they're younger, some of them. I mean, there's some of them that are just definitely, like, beyond their years talented. So there's obviously going to always be a few of those. Like, we had Kadidiatua Williams and Maddie Morrow, who were in our team, like, they were in our team last year, and they've, they're in the States right now doing their thing. But they were just above from the rest. Like, they were just super poised the entire time. Like, that was an elite level of younger girls. But a step below that, you can definitely tell kind of there's a little bit less control um, especially in high pressure situations us who have played higher basketball and have played for a few years like there's definitely a a certain level of control and poise that we have under pressure that people with less experience don't have but it's really cool and you can see them learning um, even just throughout trainings and certain weeks like kind of seeing the standard that we've set and you can see that they are actually trying to get to that point it's just a matter of experience I think. Mm. Because I think one of the one of the things that comes from having less experienced players with more experienced players is that the younger players with less experience they pick up a lot of the a lot of the things they got to do you know by watching rather than having to go through that process of learning it which takes them longer. But even though they get to a point, then there's that bit which comes, which is just hey, this is the stuff that you actually have to learn. You you can't just pick that up. But it definitely makes it easier. And I think that also helps to create a much better culture within the organization. How do you find that when you've got those sorts of things happening, how do you find that it works within your culture? Do you, do you have to make shifts to accommodate that? To accommodate like having the younger? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we've definitely had multiple conversations, especially like the older players with our coach. We've definitely had multiple conversations around how we will manage those personalities just because it is such a – age gap like we have like a 24 year old versus an 18 year old there's a different level of experience and maturity as well on and off the court um so it's definitely conversations to be had and then as a whole like setting an expectation early so they know what the expectation is around culture and um how trainings look like what we expect and then they're able to contribute to those conversations as well so it's not all talking they're actually contributing as well um and we also make sure that when we set expectations we know what it looks like not just what the expectation is but what we expect to see from them so they've been included in a good bit of conversation um but if we do need to make accommodations we make that on the fly and we make sure that they're they're okay with that if that makes sense yeah it does yeah all of those things like you said with that age gap which can be i'm you know and something tough at times to navigate but you're taking all those skills now and like they're going to be better for it you'll be better for and being in those situations no matter what they may be my you're natural at this uh leaning into the next question that we have <laughs> is it's like you know what i'm gonna say um i'd love to know is if you had three pieces of advice that you would hope girls would remember what would they be first of all is girls can hope 100 i say this all day every day we don't have the exposure that boys do but I promise you like girls can hope and I've seen it firsthand so I love to tell younger girls like I tell all my teams you're gonna have less people at your games boys are gonna say random crap to you you're gonna see stuff all over social media like hating on girls basketball but you can hope and you can play like just as powerful as boys are so that's 100% what I run with all day every day um second would be it's okay for your dreams to change because I know that even from a young age, if you become really passionate about basketball, it's easy to just go tunnel vision. I want to play college basketball. I want to play pro. Um, and it can actually be really hard when maybe that doesn't work out for you. Um, it could be an injury or maybe it doesn't work out for you just because 
you don't love it enough to get to that point. That's what happened to me. Um, and when that transition happened, when I realized that I actually didn't want to go to college basketball, it was like I'd wasted 10 years of my life having this dream just for it not to work out. And that was actually really devastating. But if I'd known as a younger girl that that's actually okay and that was actually different pathways, then that would have been a lot easier for me to digest. So letting younger players know that actually it is okay for your dreams to change and it is okay for you to take a different pathway because you can still love the game and be involved in a way that isn't playing. And third one is balance is better because um, especially throughout my high school career from what I learned, I burnt myself out a lot and um, like at the end of a basketball career, I was actually just not even wanting to look at basketball, not wanting to talk about it. Like I just hated it at some points and I think it's really good for girls to have different avenues that they're actually really interested in even if it's completely separate from basketball it's really good for girls to be interested in different facets of their life because I think that's what makes you a well-rounded person so definitely big on the balance is better as well yeah absolutely those are great applicable to all areas of life too um but again like kind of what we were talking about earlier is not tying yourself up in just basketball but having those options available to you and knowing what you do like and to your point, Maya, like there's not everybody knows, especially for women in sport, that you can do other stuff besides just playing. And I think that's one of the things about your story that captivated me so much is that you you definitely hoop, but then you've got these other interests and you're okay with sharing, you know, this is okay. It may not always go the way you want to, but something good can still come out of it. And it just seems like maybe it's because it is a smaller country and a variety of other factors here, but it's just we don't see... A lot. We're starting to see more women who are stepping up in sport and getting the opportunities that they so rightfully deserve. But to see it in your own backyard, especially in a place like Canterbury, um, is just so special and really important work that you and Lori and you know others are doing. So it's definitely something that is needed more of. Yeah, and it's great to see this happening. I just think it's huge for girls to know that that it's okay to not end up as a professional basketball player. Like. That's kind of a lot of the stories that we hear from people who have grown up through our community. But I think it's really important to put emphasis on that there's so much more to basketball than just playing. It seemed like talking about when the basis of like the name, image, likeness and watching the other stuff that even the players in America are getting up to. It's not always how, you know, you, a lot of basketball is dominated by social media, so you don't always see the other stuff. But do you think it's... I mean, people want to be careful around what they share on social media and stuff like that. But do you think it's important for girls and young women to, you know, share what else they're interested in to kind of make them more well-rounded so people know what they're about? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think a lot of what we consume social media-wise, especially when we're younger, is all about playing and is all about do this to go here and, you know, like playing as a college athlete, playing as a professional athlete. But there's actually not a lot around everything else that you can do in basketball like just like for me because that's just this is just my experience I guess I never really realized that how far you can go as a coach or how much you can love the game as a coach and how much you can invest of your time as a coach like I never saw any of that I never consumed any of that through social media or through anyone through the Eagles program like that was never really anything that was talked about so I didn't really realize that that was an avenue I could have taken um, if I didn't love playing enough to pursue it so much. So I definitely think it's a conversation that needs to be had because there's probably a lot of people like me that do love basketball but not enough to eat, sleep, breathe it to go to a college and do it 24-7 kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. So going on to female empowerment. Yeah. Yes. Um, so you, are, among other things, besides you know basketball and other stuff, you're a big champion for women in sport and making sure it's inclusive. 
and all things around that topic. So would you mind just sharing a little bit about how you got into that and became so passionate and some of the stuff you're doing um, around that space? Yeah, I guess because I, I played a lot of sport growing up and um, I just always knew that there was a bit of a disparity between the boys' sports and the girls' sports, but I never really realized why because I always saw how incredible girls could be and I always saw how talented we are. And I, I guess I'd always just from a young age just been frustrated with that disparity because I was like, wait, hang on, like, I'm better than him, like, but, and as a whole, I guess I just saw how powerful women can be, um, and as I've grown up and matured, um, I've seen it in many different spaces, just how much of a disparity there is, so I think that it, I became so passionate about it, because I realized that having a voice is probably one of the most powerful things you can do in that situation, um, and being an advocate is really important, because if we don't speak up, no one else will, so I just, I realized how much of an effect having a voice can have, and I guess that really powered my motivation to become such an advocate for women in sport and just women empowerment in general. Yeah. So I got a real question that I ask a lot about this topic. What do you think is the one key thing that can be done to try and raise awareness of the inequality and the inequity, more importantly, the inequity between men's and women's sports? Ooh, that's a hard question. <laughs> I don't want it to be. <laughs> I think a really important thing is actually just destigmatizing the notion that women can't play sport. I think a lot of people have initial reservations about women's sport, which is why they don't engage in it whatsoever. But if you actually took time out of your day to watch it, it's actually exposure on how great basketball is. I mean, the Caitlin Clark thing is a great example for this. Like, the women's NCAA tournament has never really been anything in comparison to the men's NCAA tournament. But this year, because of how incredible Caitlin Clark played and the exposure that she had, people had to consume it. I mean, it was on ESPN, it was on Bleacher Report, those kind of Instagrams that anyone is following. Like, they had to consume it and they realized, oh, wait, like, this is actually a talented women's basketball player. And then there was a lot of exposure around the women's tournament. I mean, it had more popularity than the men's. So I think kind of destigmatizing that notion and kind of changing that mindset that, that people already have initial reservations about it because when they are not forced, but when they have to consume it and it's, they're seeing it on any other platform that they normally see, then they're able to consume it like at the same rate as men's basketball and then they actually realise how incredibly talented women's basketball can be. Okay. Now, you've gone there, so I'm going to ask this one, right? Okay. Now, we're all all clear on the fact that the NCAA finals, the TV viewing numbers, all the engagement was just off the charts. We had this conversation with another guest earlier about the same topic. And I'm curious about this one because one of the things that I've noticed about men's basketball and the play style is it's you inbound the ball, you take a couple of steps past the halfway line and jack it up for a three-pointer, right? There's no defense. There's virtually no attempt to rebound. And it either goes in or it doesn't, and it's the other the other team brings it down the other end. And, you know, nine times out of ten, it's the same thing. Do you think that the style of play in women's basketball, which is more closely aligned to, to what the game's meant to be, is helping to bring those viewer numbers and raise the engagement and the awareness of women's basketball? Yeah, this is a tricky one because, like, what I've always heard from – I mean, this isn't a great way to get the feedback, but what I've seen from a lot of men is saying, like, the WNBA is not exciting because, you know, like, they don't 
they don't dunk and they don't do righty, righty, right. Like they don't do what the men do so that it's like not exciting. So like, as you say, I guess to a casual eye, the women's basketball game where they can't rely on freak athleticism and dunking it and, you know, they actually play nice basketball to a casual eye, that is probably boring, which I suppose is why maybe it has less views. I don't really know, but because I think that the women's basketball is played exactly how basketball should be because no one relies on freak athleticism. Um, So you actually have to rely on skill and team basketball, but probably to a whole bunch of casual viewers who don't actually understand the importance of that kind of basketball, they wouldn't want to watch that. And then I think that's why Caitlin Clark was probably such a hit is because she was such an abnormal way of playing. Like I've never seen a player shoot and handle the ball like Caitlin Clark does which is probably why she gained so much exposure, which I don't think is great, but I think that was a step in the right direction. Okay. It's it's interesting because I think there's there's different ways to look at that one. Yeah. But I, I get where you're coming from. It's just that I hear people say that, you know, when they watch, you know, men's basketball, it's kind of becoming kind of one-dimensional in a lot of ways, whereas – with women's basketball, it, 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 there's a lot more going on. There's a, like you said, it's closer to the original game. So, yes, to the casual basketball viewer, I agree with you. But to those viewer, those people who actually do know the game and they remember, you know, what they would see in the NBA, you know, twenty, thirty years ago, would be looking at this, going, "Hang on a minute, this is more like the basketball I remember seeing before. Mm. This is more like the basketball I know it's supposed the game is supposed to be." And I kind of wonder if if there was a way of promoting that to that audience sector, would that help to raise the profile of women's basketball? Yeah, I would I would absolutely think that people who really were invested and in, really knew about basketball would be really impressed because the women's game hasn't really changed in its dimension as much as the men's game has. Like I was watching an NBA game today and a guy literally dribbled on the spot for 20 seconds of the shot clock. Like, you would never see that in women's basketball. You'd never see that, especially at a college or WNBA level. Like, you'd never see that. So I agree, yeah, if it was marketed to their audience to show exactly how they play and kind of like you said, how similar it was to the men's basketball they'd seen from 20, 30 years ago, I think it would skyrocket. Hmm. Okay, okay. it's just I really like getting that, that feedback to that question because I think there's there's something there for women's basketball I'm just not 100% sure exactly what it is, but there's something there that'll help to raise the profile of the game. Yeah, I don't, it's, a, it's a hard one. It definitely is a tricky one. It's definitely not black and no. white. No. I mean, it's a great start to brainstorming, though. It's, um, it's good thoughts. This is how the, pro, this is how the stuff gets, uh, gets addressed. Yeah, yeah that's true. Right. <laughs> so speaking of use of platforms, so something else that I wanted to ask you about because I think it's just really – it's just so valuable what you're doing is you have your own platform and it's called the safe space. So I was wondering if you would be open to sharing a little bit about that and how you got started and what you hope to accomplish. Yeah. So I created this Instagram page maybe half a year or a year ago um, called a safe space. And alongside that, I started a little bit of a podcast thing, not as professional as this, but <laughs> try my best and I've always had a passion for mental health and I've always been huge on it athlete mental health or just mental health in general I've always had a passion for it and a passion for helping people and advocating in that space so I did a lot of advocating through my own personal Instagram um, and there was kind of a point that I got to where I realized that I wanted to do something about it and not just 
share a couple posts here and there on my own Instagram, I actually wanted to start a conversation around it, which is why I created a safe space. Um, and I guess my intentions, I actually have them written down when I began the page, are to destigmatize the mental health, to open conversations and encourage vulnerability and having tough conversations, to let people know that they're not alone and to provide a safe space. I guess that's why that was the name. Because I think when I have struggled with certain facets of mental health, it's the most encouraging thing um, was knowing that I wasn't alone and hearing people have similar stories had always been super encouraging and comforting for me. So I guess that was kind of the whole idea around that and the intention behind that. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. It's the power of connection, eh? And yeah, knowing that you're not alone and that chances are somebody else is feeling similar to the same thing you are. So it's real. I've always found it really cool that you, you know, opened up a space for people to, you know, be vulnerable. And again, once again, take a leadership role in what you're doing. Um, so I guess, what are you hoping to, I mean, are there any plans for podcasts or what can we expect? Well, Spotify deleted all my podcast episodes. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I've got no idea what happened, but I'm battling at the moment to try and figure out how I do this. But definitely still using the Instagram and I've recorded a couple of videos and uploaded them through the Instagram page. So I guess while I figure out Spotify, I can do it through that. But definitely just continue having open conversations, like letting people share and use their own voice, um, share their own stories. And yeah, just keep having that positive space that people can go to and people see like when they're doing a daily scroll, like that's something that consume. I think it's important. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to seeing more of that uh, as it comes. And I'm if it's Maya versus Spotify, I'll take Maya. Yeah. Every day of the week. Good choice. Um, Good choice. So we're about to wrap up here, but one of the last questions I have is, if you could have give advice to people working in grassroots basketball, what would that be? Because the series for Shooting the Breeze are looking more at the grassroots side of things and shining light. And I think especially in New Zealand, that new, grassroots is something that we do so well. So from someone like yourself who's work in that space, what would be your advice to those people who are getting into it? I would say just value your community. There's massive strength in numbers and you can really make cool things happen with having such a great community and awesome things happen for a range of people when you have a strong community with a whole lot of contributing people. So, yeah, I'd say that put a lot of emphasis on your community and create great connections and community in all the spaces you're in and you'll definitely see success. Absolutely. So the last, not least question is, what is happening for you right now and what's next for Maya? Well, I'm a busy girl at the moment, currently getting my degree. I'm at broadcasting school doing a journalism degree. Um, so that's a big part of my life, obviously. And um, I'm coaching a really cool group at my old high school, Middleton Grange, this year. Um, so that'll be my primary basketball focus this year, as long as my degree. Um, and then just doing a little bit of coaching here and there. And then in terms of the future, I'd love to be sports journalist. That's like the number one dream that just be like talking in sports. That's all I love to do. So that would be dream career. And my one coaching goal is to coach for some sort of New Zealand team. So if anyone listening is a New Zealand coach, <laughs> write me down. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's what the future is looking at. But you never know what can happen. That's what I'm striving toward right now. All fantastic things I'm sure are going to check off in a timely fashion. Look at where you're going. That's cool. Fingers crossed. Guys, thanks so much for joining us. It's been really interesting. I'm sure that it'll be a conversation that we want to continue. And it'd be great to get you back again to talk about, as things have gone on, how they've developed for you and things that you're getting into. 
But look, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And hoping everything goes well for you, not only at, at school, doing journalism, but also coaching. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. This has been really awesome. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.